Hey everybody, welcome to episode 33 of Making It. I'm Bob Claggett, here with uh, Jimmy Duresta and David Picciuto. How's it going, guys? <laughs> that wasn't planned. That oh. wasn't. <laughs> Apparently me, it's, it's me and a couple of animals here. <laughs> we were just at the zoo the other day, so I, I still have those vibes in me. Monkeys on the brain? Yeah. It's like 115 degrees in my apartment, so I have to bark instead of talk to conserve energy. Nice. I was going to immediately apologize for all the noises that I'm going to make, but now you've taken the focus away from me. I've got like allergy stuff and I'm like, I'm going to be coughing and hacking and all that, but you guys are monkeys. So there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, guys, thanks for tuning in this week. We're going to do some more questions from you guys. Uh, We had a big list left over from the last episode and actually a bunch more have come in. Uh, we'll try to to wrap up as many of them as we can today. Um, but before we get going, I want to um, thank the guys from Patreon. Luis Gonzalez, Jeremy White, Jer- uh, and Juan Vargas. They're our top supporters over there, and they are awesome. Thank we are guys. really grateful for them and everybody else who supports us on Patreon. And if you want to help out the show, you can go to patreon.com slash making it and uh, find, a, find ways to help us out over there. And let's just get into it. What are we working on? What's everybody up to? Well, I just finished up the stereo speaker build. Um, I haven't, Sorry. I haven't posted. Thank you. I haven't posted it. I was yet. watching you on Patreon <laughs> on uh, Periscope. Yes, I haven't posted it yet. The video's all done and edited. Um, I posted it for my Patreon peeps, but I got to do all the stuff, all the fun, non, not so fun stuff. So I'm gonna, yeah. I got to write the blog. I'm working on the PDF plans. I'm gonna work. Uh, I got to take the beauty shots and then post it on Instructables. All that stuff takes a long time. So I'm not sure when it's going to be up. Maybe tomorrow, if not tomorrow, Saturday. And uh, yeah, I've been playing around with with Periscope. I don't know if you can hear my cat, but my cat is yelling at me. Uh, I've been playing around (laughs) on on Periscope and I'm having a good time with it, trying to do a little bit behind the scenes. It's fun, Yeah. I've been playing with it too. Yeah. So yeah, that's what I I got going on. I can't get myself to do it. I don't know why. I just... Feel like a dork. You got to do it a couple like times. A, when you have like a few minutes spontaneous thing to talk about, like like let's say you're in the middle of like preparing something for video, and then you realize you have something funny to say, or you know you have like at least like four or five good minutes to chat about something. Just open it up and see who's following you, and then just start talking. And yeah. what the good thing about it, as opposed to say Snapchat, is that you get some quick responses. People say things to you right away, and you can see it, and it's actually really fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe one of these days we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> What are you up to, Jimmy? Uh, just uh, finished up the truck bed video last night. I don't have the the, the, the beauty shot at the very end in place because that's going to be in Tennessee. So I'm going to put it up, and then once I get the opportunity to shoot a beauty shot in Tennessee, I'll, I'll put that up as probably just an Instagram movie or something. But um, I got it completed, and I have to deliver it to Tennessee. Um, and I finished the video last night. I stayed up really late finishing the video, hoping to get it up on Sunday. And now I, I might have a couple of issues. So it may or may not be up Sunday, only because... Um, I got to get some client approval on a couple of quick things. So hopefully that, that'll go up Sunday because there's lots of really good techniques in that video. I haven't, I, it took so long to film it that I was just watching it uh, in very small pieces. So last night when I finally ran through it, 12 minutes of it, I was like, oh, oh, that's where that is. Oh, because I just kept adding to the end of it. I never watched the beginning of the edit until last night. Mm. And uh, so as I was just piling pieces one after another linearly. I finally get a chance to look at it. So there's some really good techniques in there, and hopefully I get to, to post it sooner than later. 
and uh, that's it. Just and then also my file drawer, which I Instagrammed about a little bit. That's also that was like in the corner of my shop, like taunting me, saying, "When are you going to get back to me?" And I finally got back to it this week, so that's moving along too. Since the last time we talked, I think you put out the the table saw tips video, right? Uh, the table saw tips video. Yeah, I did it the day after we spoke last week, and then. Um, and then my switchblade video was also oh, yeah, came yeah. out that same day. Yeah, that was last week. So yeah, those are two good videos. The table saw video. We uh, Dave and I have been talking for a long time about adding a live troller, and uh, <laughs> it was a good opportunity to test it. And it got a huge, huge good response. You know, that's a couple funny. people like that's ridiculous. Take that out. And then some people <laughs> like. And then there's funny people are like, oh, what you can't take the trolls. I'm like, are you trolling me now? Like, I'm just want to clear what's happening. You're trolling me because of the troll. Uh, so, <laughs> what funny. I love about had the video. Say I was gonna say what I loved about the video was like there's a lot of like little table saw tips and tricks and we've I've seen a lot of videos and I'm like oh it'll probably be a bunch of stuff I've already seen before but it's always a good to refresh on some of these things and then almost the entire video was things I have never seen before. Oh, so thanks. Yeah, fantastic. I left out the typical stuff. Uh, you know, I, I tried to leave out some. Of, I actually re-edited. Uh, we edited the list every every time we do a tips video. That's New York City's bravest driving by. Um, every time we do a tips video, we always have like a set list and it's, and I literally just crossed them off. I'm actually started saving them. I threw the most of them away, but I started saving them. <laughs> um, so we have like a set list. And as we go through the shoots, the shots that we, we just crossed them off. And I had more than, I had like five or six more. I just completely said, forget it because, you know, they're a little redundant and, you know, there's things that most people should know how to do already. So, but yeah, even like, I mean, I showed some techniques already in other videos. I explicitly showed them, but I showed them here. So they're all in the same collection <laughs> and it, it was a lot of fun. Uh, we're, we're discussing the next tips video it might be uh, film and video, video oh. tips for, mm. you know, for YouTubers and uh, people who want to get in the game. Uh, also router tips is, is on deck using a router. Nice. And then CNC tips. I want to do CNC tips. Nice. So, you yeah. know, now that you've said this publicly, you've committed to all three of those videos. Correct? Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Actually, I, when I periscoped the other day, I asked somebody to make a suggestion and someone suggested router tips. And it's a really good idea because I, I wouldn't have thought of that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. The tips videos are a lot of fun. And then Make Magazine has picked up on them. And uh, our friend Gareth over there, who used to be my editor, he, he reposted them in, in, a, in an article that he wrote, which is, which is cool because they got a little resurgence in, in viewership, which is really nice. So nice. yeah, yep. So that's a fun series, and it's it's really fun to make because we could just goof off and have fun. And and actually, Bob, I I know I said this before, but I'm going to credit you here. When we were talking about advertising and stuff, and you said, "Well, you don't talk in any of your videos," and I immediately realized that my tips videos was an opportunity for me to talk. And so it's your fault. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Send all the complaints my way. That's fine. Yeah. I'll take your tips and and the complaints in the same time. <laughs> thank you. Uh, well, for me, I've been working on, um, I just finished up a comic box. So I've had all my comic books from my, from growing up have been in this cardboard box that just happened to kind of fit them all in, uh, for, I don't know, 30 years, something very long time. And so I finally decided to find a way, a little sturdier way to store them. So, and I've had this, uh, box joint jig that I've had for a long time and I've never actually gotten to use it. So it was a good excuse for me to make a big box using this jig, get it all figured out and set up. And um, it's a pretty simple box, but worked out great. And, you know, so I've got that finished um, actually for next week, which is pretty cool to be ahead. Hmm. So uh, that'll go up early next week. And then I posted my uh, a closet video that I did for my kids this past week. 
oh. improve their closet. So, did they mess it up yet? No, actually, it looks great. They somehow <laughs> they haven't yet. It's only a matter of time, oh. but no, they haven't yet. So nice. Yeah. So um, we got a bunch of questions. So let's just jump on into it. Maybe we'll try to um, kind of burn through them a little faster than we did last time. All right. I'm sorry. well you know okay so first one from rowdy penguin what's your favorite wood to work with ease of workability texture and finish david Hmm. go me first yeah i'm gonna start calling names that's a lot of pressure um a couple answers if i'm going to do a combination of woods i want to work with walnut and maple they just look so beautiful together Mm -hmm. and walnut's a pleasure pleasure to work with if i'm just doing a singular wood i love bubinga it just looks awesome when you put finish on it mm-hmm. boom that's, cool. that's me yeah no I, I agree with all three of those uh, those would be my top three choices i have a big chunk of bubinga and i never cut it up i'm always waiting for a special occasion <laughs> and uh i love walnut actually this weekend uh, this past week i made an urn uh, for my cousin that passed away his daughter asked me if i would make the urn and uh, so I did, and I made it in walnut. No video or anything on that, just out of respect to my cousin Sonny. And uh, it actually looks really nice. I'll send you guys a picture of it. Um, yeah. I might even post a picture online um, once it's painted. But it was all walnut, and it, it really, I, I just, every time I work with walnut, I always think, oh, I should do this more often. It's just really beautiful. It smells nice. And then if I was going to work with like an inexpensive wood to like build frames and stuff that would kind of be, uh, you know, behind the scenes, I really like. Uh, poplar. I always buy poplar for, you know, if anything has to look clean and neat and straight, uh, you know, and then has to last for a while, but has some behind the scenes structure in it. I always use uh, poplar. No knots, straight grain, cuts nice, looks nice. So those are my choices. I, I haven't really used poplar very much, once or twice, but not, you know. It's really nice. It's readily available too. It's in, <clears throat> you can get it at the home stores. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree on uh, walnut. I think it's probably my favorite overall. Um, but I had a chance to use teak, a whole lot of teak, uh, a couple oh, teak of years ago nice. now. And man, it's just fantastic. It's so dense and smells great when you cut it. And it's a little bit oily. So, you know, it just feels different than all the other woods that I've used. But it's really expensive, but it's really, really nice as well. So, hmm. but I think probably for general use, you know, if I was going to, something I, I would actually use on a project that I had to pay for, it would be walnut, I'm sure. I've never used teak. No, teak, teak is really nice. It smells nice, too. It's a great yeah. outdoor wood, too, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it has like a good sustainability. Cool. Yep. Yeah, I, I happened to have a project where the client wanted it to be teak, and they bought all the lumber. <laughs> so it was like, <laughs> sure, yeah, I'll make whatever you want. Yep. Um, all right, so the next one's from Billy Davis. After a bad table saw mishap, I've had a hard time using it. Have any of you had accidents, and how did you overcome this would go straight to Jimmy, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah. How did you go back to the table saw, and what was it like the first time you went back? Uh, it's really funny. I, I, it's, a, it's a good question. I, I, I just described my incident. So if anybody hasn't heard it, I just described uh, the incident in my, uh, in my last table saw tips video. And a couple people you know, were a little hard on me again. Oh, you, you're being so cool and casual around the table, so how could you be silly and funny? I'm like, you know, I have every right to be. I cut my pinky like almost clean off, and I reattached it. So, um, and not to mention the other f- several times I've been injured on the table saw, which kind of don't count because I didn't end up going to the hospital. You know, I've nicked fingernails completely off and fingertips here and there, but that was obviously the most uh, severe injury that I personally had. And um, uh, 
I was in the hospital, and when I left the hospital, I knew that uh, within like 20 hours of being back at my house, I had to begin this project, which I was partially through when, when I got injured. And I had one hand, and the, the doctor said, be careful. Don't go back in the shop if you can avoid it. You know, I, I wasn't going to sit there and make a case that I'm self-employed and I have no choice. I just said, okay, no problem. Of course, I ignored his advice. And uh, I was a little nervous to turn the table saw on for the first time. And, and I still, like I had that sort of like uh, trepidation, like I'm afraid of kickback now, much more so than I ever was. I definitely need a riving knife on my, on my saw. I tried to buy one. I couldn't find one. Um, so my intentions were to just make one, which I could easily make one. And uh, so I do need one because that obviously helps a considerable uh, amount of to avoid kickback. Um, now I was nervous, uh, and I and I just went back to the shop, and I had to get back to work. I, I had to deliver a job, so I, I, I overcame my fear like pretty much right away. But there's like a healthy amount of fear that stayed with me that still is with me. Yeah. You know, after realizing, like I, I, as a general rule of thumb, and I didn't mention this on the on the the tips video is I never put my hands past the, uh, the axle of the saw. I try never to have my physical hands past the axle. Cause, uh, in theory, nothing could ever get hurt. If, you know, push, if like anything kicks or anything, my hands will be thrown those few inches. So like when you see somebody push a piece of the scrap past the saw blade, anytime your hand is past the saw blade, it can come back across it. So I just never put my hands past that airspace. And uh, that's just sort of like my general rule. I mean, you'll probably see me do it here and there with a push stick, but I'll never, I try never to ever like put my hand on that piece of like plywood and push it through. Like if there's like a 10 or eight inch space between the saw blade and, the, and that, that's, that's a definite result of having been injured five years ago. Hmm. So yeah, yeah, you just gotta, you just gotta, you know, you gotta get back on the horse, but just be aware. Yeah. I think it's, it's, Probably, I mean, from not having been injured, so I don't maybe have a space to talk. But I would imagine that it's just like, you know, using it for the first time where you have to kind of get a sense of like what your acceptable risk is with the tool, how comfortable you're going to be with using it and like where the line is, you know. And that's something you figure out as you get more comfortable with it. But I would imagine that kind of just resets once you get hurt and you have to come back and say like, Yeah, no, okay. it's, I'm, I'm much more cautious now after being hurt than I ever was before. I, yeah. I can honestly say that because I learned as a kid, and I was like completely fearless as a kid. And then as I got older, I just was never fearful. And now, now I have, I, I know. Like I, I said it in the thing, and I always say it. I've been bitten by the tiger. You know, you train a tiger your whole life, and then it bites you, and you're like, "Wow, now I don't know what to trust." And so yeah. that's kind of where I'm at. There's an interesting video on YouTube, and uh, I don't know how you would search it. I guess you would just search "kickback" because I think that's what the guy was experimenting with. This guy, he's a woodworker, YouTuber, and he was experimenting with trying to show kickback and how important a riving knife is. And he was intentionally trying to make kickback and he almost cut off like five of his fingers and he caught it on camera and he showed it. He was like, he's like, look, I'm a stupid moron. I was trying to talk about kickback and the dangers of it. And I nearly cut my fingers off and he shows it in slow-mo. And you could see he's like, he basically said, he goes, I know that, you know, this, this saw can, can pack a wallop because I had no idea the wallop it really can pack when things go wrong. Hmm. So I look for that. It's 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 incredible. Like I, I watched it again the other day because it came up in my like maybe you saw this feed, and I watched it and I kind of jumped right to where I knew it was, and I was just like kind of winced <laughs> as I watched it, although I hadn't seen it a few years ago. Mm. Crazy. All right, well let's move on. Um, from Worth Effort SG, when do you decide it's time to disassemble a project you're working on for parts and walk away? <laughs> <laughs> I just had that with the switchblade. <laughs> that switchblade video, I, 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 I 
showed, I guess you might call my first fail video. Um, the switchblade, I got it to a point where it was working really nice. I knew the parts were starting to wear out. I'm like, damn, these are wearing out way too quickly, but I just want to get the money shot. And I was working on the handles. I had peened the, the thing shut. Like you put the, the knife back together and peen over all the studs so to open it would be a pain in the butt again. And then the switch failed. And I just was like, oh, what a pain in the ass. And uh, so I just, uh, I, Taylor and I went out to dinner. I walked away from the shop. Taylor and I went out to dinner. And she's like, just show the end. Be honest. She goes, that's what your fans want to see anyway. So I went yeah. back and I, and I just filmed that last few minutes. So I was like, I messed up. Uh, you know, I didn't use the correct materials for this job. But, you know, I was right in concept, but not in... Uh, in exercise, and so now I have that knife to experiment with. So I, I have that knife in front of me, and my, my next video is going to be me literally experimenting with that that knife, which is now a parts knife. So it, it still flips open, but that whole area where the switch was is going to have to be redesigned. But now I have the the freedom to design like kind of blue sky without worrying about it because now it's it's a piece of junk. So I've n- any any projects where I draw and plan, I've never had to walk away from it there's been a couple times where i'm like you know what i'm just gonna free style this whole thing and that never seems to work or the outcome is never as good as what i think it's going to be and it's like boxes or like i was trying to make like an iphone stand a while back and i was just like this isn't working so what i've learned is if you plan it out it's really hard to fail Mm-hmm. in yeah, woodworking it's a really, I mean it's a what, really good point yeah what Jimmy was doing with the knife was a, l- a little bit different but I was like building some, yeah you were tinkering I was building something from scratch so mm-hmm. plan ahead yeah I would say um, that's happened to me a couple of times where I've but I've never like dis- disassembled it and walked away totally it's more like I realized that the time it would take me to fix this problem is more than it would take me to start over from scratch and do it the right way and so it's not that I like throw it away and walk over, but I have off, uh, walk away, but I have um, disassembled and just completely started over, you know, because that's the simpler, faster path. But that, uh, I think it's just a matter of like balancing those, you know, weighing those times against each other. But I have a, a you just reminded me of a story. I, I made a table for, for a client and it was uh, about 35 inches wide by about six inches long. So it was like a three by six table by two inch thick walnut. And you know, the argument that I had with my interior decorator, you know, I always remember her saying one thing and she always remembers saying another thing. So when I showed her the beautiful table that I made out of $500 worth of walnut, she said, I didn't tell you to round the corners. I said, yes, you did. <laughs> you told me to round the corners. She goes, no, I didn't. So anyway, the argument is a different story. And so now I'm stuck with $500 worth of walnut and a perfectly beautiful table with rounded corners. And I'm looking at my Mac screen, my new iMac. Is same same rounded corners as an iMac, like maybe a five to five inch radius, or maybe you know like a three inch radius around the corners of the table. She wanted it square, so I ended up uh, leaving it on the wall of the shop. Brand, beautiful, beautiful finish. It looked gorgeous. You know, Five hundred dollars worth of walnut, and I slowly started biting into it like a piece of cheese. So every once in a while, I'd cut a small piece off, and I still have about ten inches by by six feet of it, hmm. uh, two inches thick. So I over the last four years, I. I've bitten into it several times for different projects. Mm-hmm. And it's always my go-to piece. It's like, okay, I ran out of walnut. Let me just cut a sliver off of the table, the, the caucus of the table. So that's a project where you know I didn't get paid for it because I ended up having to make it again. So I had that chunk of wood, and I made a different shape table. Hmm. So there you go. Crazy. All right, uh, next one from Joseph Mensch. Hey, Joseph. What's up, hey, buddy? Um, what do you believe is the behind the rapid grow, growing makers movement? Is YouTube the main driver? I don't think YouTube is the main driver. I think it is a 
maybe a part of it and a response to it. But <clears throat> I was thinking about this as I was reading through the questions before, and I think I don't really have an answer, a full answer, but I think one of the things that has played a big part into it is um, as things get out of, as things start to be produced outside of like your hands, right? You're, you're only consuming stuff that's being bought other places. When that stuff starts to get expensive to a point where you can't afford it, then you start to look for other ways to get that stuff. And I think maybe in general, uh, things being inaccessible has pushed a lot of people toward like, oh, well, I can't afford that. What would it take for me to make it or to have somebody make it for me? You know, And once they see that that's like actually kind of realistic, then people start going, oh, yeah, I can make this thing. And then they make a thing. And then they're like, oh, wait, wait a second. I can make things. And then they start making mm-hmm. things and selling them to other people. And I think it's just like this kind of spiral mm-hmm. that at least part of it probably started with stuff just being inaccessible, stuff that they wanted. But I don't know. What do you guys think about that? I have a, a maybe an overly intellectual answer. It's just with the TV movement in the last several years, and I was part of that in a very small amount, um, this all watching people make things on TV, whether it comes to Orange County Chopper or, or Jesse James or that whole Chopper series that did really well for many years, um, you know, Monster House and all the DIY HGTV stuff. I think people watching that, it was like a slow lead into people trying that. I mean, and then more and more people began to try that, and then the small spark of fire started simultaneously with make magazine you know that's kind of more on the electronics tip but then like garage guys doing choppers and building their own backyard porch all that kind of slowly stemmed from tv and then people wanting to show off and then it went to youtube and now youtube is much more real much more tangible and the community is much more accessible than the tv business and people are starting to smell bs when they watch a tv show and they realize (laughs) that this tv show is just full of you know completely unnecessary fluff because the TV formula is so outdated. And so people are moving to YouTube to, to share in their experiences and to learn from other people. And, you know, it's so many, I mean, between the three of us, how many of our fans that we started talking to said, I love what you do. And then, you know, shortly after our first opening conversations, they come back and go, hey, you guys got me into YouTube. Now I'm finally making my own YouTube channel. It's just a matter, you know, it's, like I said, I, so to sum up my long tirade, I think the TV, the TV game in like the ni- you know in the early two thousands and in the late nineties of pe- watching people make things, kind of sparked the everybody wanting to do that for themselves. You know whether it be you know guys have a nine to five they need to release and just do something cool in their garage so they start building a chopper or they do this home project, and then slowly all of a sudden YouTube is like the real is like the real reality. It's like I, genuine reality. I can't disagree with either one of you, but I think sites like Pinterest and Etsy play a big part in that oh, of course Ooh, that's absolutely. a good point yeah. yeah i mean pinterest just blew up of like all these little handcrafted things and like bob said i think youtube is a response to all that and yeah you know so it's and then youtube combined, is like the entrance for all of us you yeah. know and even you know people that are just starting and you know it was entrance for me i mean i i and i this is no secret i've said it many times i went to youtube because i had such a frustrating experience with tv and, uh, you know, so I just started doing YouTube. I said, my next TV show is going to have my fans. I'm going to have my own built-in audience. But now I don't even want to go to TV. I had a conversation this afternoon with some guy on TV. And he's like, oh, this, that, and the other thing. I was like, is this going to pay? Because I don't even want to waste my time emailing you if this is going to pay. And uh, so, I, and he didn't write back, so. <laughs> <laughs> I need to email you because I, I, I may have gotten the, the, same, the same email 
Actually, yeah. I might have gotten the same one as well. So that's yeah. they don't understand that we actually talk to each other, you know. Um, but you, what you were talking about earlier, Jimmy, about um, you know people being inspired to start doing YouTube because they've been because the people on YouTube have been accessible. Mm. Uh, there was something I wrote down that I wanted to point out. Um, somebody named Ross, and I don't know your last name, Ross. And I'm sorry, but he made his first video and he sent us that email and was like basically. You guys inspired me to to start, or you were part of what inspired me to start making YouTube videos, and so he dedicated his first uh, build video to us. Oh, that's and he great. actually drew out our logo. He, so he took a three D printer and he converted it to where it could be a, a plotter. You put a pen in it and it can draw graphics and stuff. But he drew out our logo. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But th- that was really cool to hear that from someone. You know that we've had any part in motivating them to actually create some content. I think it's great. I feel so good. I yeah. That. Yeah. That's, that's like one of the biggest rewards is when, you know, I get so many beautiful emails from people that say, you know, I started doing this because of you and, you know, and then and like, I can't believe you emailed me back. It's like, why wouldn't I? It's just, <laughs> if I haven't emailed you back yet, it's only because I just haven't had a chance. It's no other reason. Yeah. All right. Next one. Woody Wood Seats. Woody Wood Seats. How much salvage reclaimed stuff do you use versus new? Asking because I mainly use free wood. I'm too mean to pay much. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I for a while I was using a lot of reclaimed stuff because it was I didn't have the money for anything else. Um, But now I'm. It's really based on the uh, actual project. You know, I don't. Before I would go to reclaimed wood, kind of as a first resort. And then if I had to buy something to fill a gap or I had to buy something because there was a specific need, I would. Now it's just more like, well, you know, what is the project going to work best as? And I've done Mm -hmm. a few recently, like some of the shelves I did were actually a combination to where the front face of a shelf was reclaimed to get the look, but then the rest of it was purchased stuff to get the stoutness of the lumber or to get the size I needed or, you know, so it's, for me, it's just a, whatever makes sense for the actual project. I only use reclaimed wood when I want to show that you can use this free wood. Uh, I mostly purchase my my lumber only because it's so predictable to use. Mm. I know that there's not going to be any nails in there or, or gaps or cracks. I know it was dried correctly. So I just like purchasing my lumber because I know I'm going to get to my end point a lot easier. Yeah, I, I agree with both of you guys. I do the same thing. When I first started my shop in the basement, the, the one that's on YouTube, I started that 11, 12 years ago. And when I, I would literally grab like 18-inch pieces of two-by-four off the street. I was grabbing everything because anything potentially became something I could either turn into a workshop workstation or or a project for somebody. And uh, that's kind of was early on. But now that I have uh, you know higher-paying clients and you know more of an established business, I could... I can call up the lumberyard and you know order several hundred dollars worth of plywood to be delivered. Where in the past I would certainly garbage pick whatever I could find, and now I now I pass on stuff because I'm like, why do I need that half a sheet of plywood? I have ten brand new sheets laying on the wall, so it's just a matter of kind of where you're at and you know what what's your priority as as your business matures. Yeah, totally. Um, all right, this one's from Richie P. Mech E. Lots of great maker YouTube channels these days. Is the market reaching saturation or is there room for more? Mm, that's a good one. There's yeah. always room for more if you can find your niche or your uniqueness, right? Yeah. So all three of us, and there's a bunch of other people. I mean, we can, Jay Bates, Mark Spagnuolo, Steve Ramsey, we all do something so completely different. 
that there's yeah. room for all of us plus a lot more but if you're yeah. just doing the same thing everybody else is doing you're gonna you're gonna get lost right yeah totally i think there's totally room like uh you know it's it's an it's like the wild west this is just funny because there's so many you could just like lay claim to this particular aspect of making things if you do it well people are going to watch like you know my friend clickspring uh do you guys i oh, talked yes. about chris at clickspring he does the most incredible yes. machining. Like it, he says it's an amateur, but I've never seen anybody more professional than what he does. Mm-hmm. He makes clocks out of brass. Like, and he, I, I love brass and I would never be able to attain the, the beautiful uh, things that he does in brass. I'm like more gruff whenever it comes to making anything. So I love watching him and he kind of came up out of nowhere recently. And, you know, Nick Ferry's channel is growing really good. And Nick has a great sense of humor with the things he does. And, uh, you know, Patrick's workshop, these guys that are kind of, you know, starting to, to grow and be more visible more often. You know, it's there's totally room for everybody, I think. And it's, that's what's great about it is that, you know, every, uh, not everybody has a crack at TV. And, and I, I got lucky. I only got in TV because I accidentally happened to be. And not saying that I'm more talented than anybody. And that's why I was chosen because I've been denied thousands of times in TV. I mean, the reasons I got involved with TV is probably more because of my brother than, than my talent. So, and how many people do we get to watch on YouTube that never would have made it through the broadcast system just because the people in charge are, are idiots? <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I think it's such a beautiful thing. And, you know, and at any given moment, someone could pop up and just, you know, you know, Tim Sway and I actually Tim just did some TV. You know, it's that's what I love about YouTube is that anybody could, you know, it's it's just an ongoing. Everyone's just moving forward. You know, once once a week, someone will have like, you know. The stars will be shining on you because you did something funny or you have a cool video that week. And then we all try and top each other. It's just a great community. <laughs> I mean, yeah. we could do a whole episode here on just other YouTube channels that inspire us, right? Yeah. Yeah. It'd probably be a good that's idea. What I, that's why yeah. it's like, like when I, it's like when I get an email from TV people, I'm like, oh, what do you want? You know, it's like, I'm so happy where I am. <laughs> Another thing that like is important to, to think about there, I mean, putting together what both of you guys just said. There is a ton of room. Um, you have to stand out. I think. I think you need to do something to be unique. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to create things that are different than what everybody else has created. Because I think there's a couple of components there that really make channels like interesting for people. And it's what you make, and it's how you deliver the thing. You know, right. which is Jimmy, it's what really, you were saying about like really Nick, you know, his, his sense of humor and different people have different methods of delivering the stuff. So it's not that you have to like always look for the project that's nobody else has ever done. Something that's totally unique. It's not that you always have to have a joke behind everything you do. It's just that the combination of all the stuff that makes your videos, your videos, that should be something that's unique. You know, the combination there. And I was telling somebody else this recently, it may have been on another podcast we were on, that you know, if you look at two channels kind of in our area and they have maybe a similar number of subscribers, it's easy to assume that those subscribers are the same people. Mm-hmm. But more likely than not, they're not. There is definitely some overlap. But you know, if you have like a 10, 000, two channels that have 10,000 uh, subscribers, that's probably like 25,000 people. Or maybe more. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's uh, wait, that <laughs> you know what I mean. Fifteen thousand. Yes. That's probably fifteen thousand <laughs> different people, um, because people are into certain parts of what other people do. So I'm just saying that because the field of viewership is way bigger 
than the field of content creation. So I don't mm-hmm. think if you're out there doing your thing, you know, being like passionate and, you know, just really doing what you want to do, I, I don't think you'll have any trouble finding an audience that really likes what you do. Passion comes through in videos more than anything. Like if you really, really love making toy cars, that passion is going to come through in your videos and people are going to watch it because because of your passion and your personality is, is coming through in the videos. Yeah, definitely. So the, the next one from King Tutley, um, how have the discussions been about quitting your day job with your significant other? I'm the most recent, so I'll, I'll go first here. Um, it, you know, for us, it was a really long discussion. Uh, it was over nine months or so. We started talking about it before I started making any progress toward it. And my wife is just amazing and super supportive. And every time I was scared about that, making that jump or the fear of it or talk, you know, thinking about all the ins and outs, she was always the one that just said, we'll be fine. You know, we may have to change stuff. We may have to adjust. We may have to rethink things in a year, but we'll be fine. Just do it. You know, so... I don't know if that's typical. I hope it's typical for people, but I mean, I have to say that that conversation was really encouraging for me. For me, it was pretty natural. So between at at that time, it was my girlfriend. We had a pretty open communication line between us. So she always knew how many people were watching or, or what I was doing. And she was very involved. And so when it, as as things were progressing, where I got a book deal, um, I got I was in Wood Magazine, and some of these other things were happening. And I was getting my first sponsor. She saw all that, and then one day it was just like I was just frustrated with my job, and it was it was her that said, "Maybe you can do this full time." And then we sat down, we we played with numbers for a couple of hours, and we're like, "Yeah, I think I think we can make this work." So. It was just, it was very natural. It wasn't like, oh man, I have to go talk to Kelly about this now. I mean, she brought it up and she knew what was going on in my life. Well, I, I have it just the opposite because I've always been working for myself anyway. But Taylor, my, my girlfriend now, six years, she lives with me and she uh, kind of early in her career, she's obviously younger than me. So she was working at Calvin Klein. And every time she was just kind of cranky and uptight and I'd be like, what's up? She's like, I hate it here. I just can't stand this fashion business. I just can't stand that. I go, so then why don't you quit and just work in the shop and just figure out something to do in the shop? And she's like, really? I was like, yeah, we'll quit. I mean, I knew she had the talent to be able to do whatever it is she put her mind to. And uh, so that was sort of one of the early on moments. And she came back. Uh, I saw her at work that evening after work. And she's like, guess what? I go, what? She goes, I quit. I go, oh, good. She goes, I quit. That's it. She goes, you're right. I just, I can't stand working in an office environment. And uh, she learned how to weld. I kind of got it started, but she seeked out some some uh, uh, learning uh, effort on her own. And I got her a TIG welder for Christmas that year. And she started TIG welding and now she's making her chairs. And she was also doing like a coat check thing. You know, you, it's, a, it's pretty lucrative in New York. If you're a pretty girl, you could do a coat check thing and make like two or $300 in, in one night. But, you know, you got to work till four in the morning and you got to deal with all the, the jerks that come and go. And I said, quit that too. And so she quit everything and just started focusing on making things in the shop. And now she's got a line of chairs and she's getting inquiries and she's fulfilling an order right now, you know, into the thousands and thousands of dollars. So uh, I'm really proud of her. And uh, I'm glad that, uh, you know, she had the personality to do it, but she just was a little insecure because, you know, you go through school and you're told you got to get a job and you got to go do these things. And, uh, so now she's an entrepreneur doing things with her hands. 
So that's awesome. And and getting a girl a TIG welder for Christmas is like the coolest gift ever. <laughs> <laughs> I got it for myself, really. But. Oh, I see. I got <clears throat> Kelly a toilet for her birthday last year, so... That's, oh, that's also awesome. yeah, yeah. a gift. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, um, <laughs> for, we, we, for our birthdays, we like to give each other gifts that benefit the house so we can sell the house at a future date. So. Ah, that's, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Next one is from Ryan. I, it's from Ryan. I don't Hi, know. Hi, Ryan. Awesome. Uh, do you think that a startup shop should focus on a variety of one-offs or a popular, few popular mass productions? I think you're going to end up with a better profit margin over time if you can reproduce things. You're going to be able to get them out faster and probably sell them at a cheaper price, which means you'll sell more. David, you've done some production of things. What do you think about that? I think you're right about you can probably make more doing the production thing, but is that production going to fulfill your satisfaction? Right? Yeah. Because making the same thing over and over again is to me isn't fun and starts to feel like a job. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, I tell people in startup, don't complain and don't explain. I mean, that's kind of a famous quote from the movie business. People ask you to do things. If you have no money and they're offering you money and you have nothing to do except watch your tools, take it and just gather experience. So whatever comes through the door, just take it, deliver on time and under budget and you'll get more and more work. And if it's something where you want to do production, of course, you know, do something that's is not going to drive you crazy. And I started making these ice picks that I'm going to deliver the first 100 and something ice picks by hand, but I have a factory in China now giving me, uh, you know, they're going to they make a counter sample right now, so we'll see. I mean, I might be able to deliver those a lot easier than I am hand making them. And they they seem simple, they are very simple right up to where I got to join that ring to the top of the tube. That's the biggest part. That's a pain in the butt. So, um, so I'm working out, you know, how I could mass produce those in my little shop. So it's a pain in the butt, you know, but, uh, it's, uh, it, it's, it's the way to start a company, you know, like Henry Ford, you know, had a hand make his first couple of cars. Yeah. I mean, even, even doing a simple job a hundred times is still a job, you know, it's not yeah. just because a piece is simple doesn't mean, you know, doing that thing a whole bunch of times is simple. Um, before we go to the next question, I want to—I got a tweet just a second ago while we were recording this, and I just want to call him out. Thank you, Blake Parker. He just uh, tweeted at Jimmy Fallon and told him that he needed to have the three of us on the Tonight Show. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Probably not going to happen, Blake, but I appreciate the effort. <laughs> <clears throat> wow. All right. Um, so the next one, if you could go, this is from B3KO. If you could go back in time and tell your something, tell yourself something about making. What would it be and when? Hmm. Me, I would go back and tell myself, get into fine woodworking earlier in my life. You know, I just, I do a lot of plywood MDF type of stuff. You know, it's kind of like almost like scenic stuff. Uh, I wish I would have gotten more into like fine woodworking earlier on. I mean, I, I know I'm, I'm in the classification of woodworker, but as far as fine woodworking magazine goes, like I, I don't consider myself in that category. I, I wish that I was a little bit sooner in that category. I think I think we can all say I wish we would have done this sooner. Wish we would have done that sooner. So, I, I mean that that would be my answer. But I'm gonna I'm trying to avoid that. I think I wish I would have not pigeon pigeonholed myself so much so soon. So when I got into woodworking, I was starting to learn just like kind of like traditional woodworking, and it took me a while. Thanks to the two of you. 
to get me outside of woodworking and learn to incorporate other things. So I wish I would have started incorporating other things into woodworking sooner. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess that's the same answer. Same, it's the same <laughs> answer, Jimmy. Like I just wish I would have done everything sooner. Yeah. Huh. Well, I, I wish that I had maybe taken advantage of so when I was in college, I wanted to be building more things. I wanted to be making some furniture for myself and for my friends, but I didn't have the space because I was in an apartment with other guys and didn't have the tools and all that stuff. But looking back now, I was in a perfect scenario to dive headlong into electronics, you know, a desk. I had a desk and a computer. Um, now, granted, you know, the microcontrollers and stuff were not then like they are now, but I still could have, without the space spent a whole lot of time and gotten a lot deeper knowledge of, you know, what fit where I was at the time, which would have paid off in, in dividends where I am now. Of course, there's no way to know that. <laughs> it's all hindsight. But I, I guess out of that, just saying, like, even if you can't do the thing that you want to do, look at what can currently fit into, like, where you are and, you know, what you have available and spend your time there and know that you'll get to uh, get to the other stuff when you can get to it. I, I should point out if you are a traditional woodworker, that is okay. Like I'm not, I'm not putting down traditional woodworking. I just, for myself, I enjoy bringing other things into woodworking to make my work maybe a little bit more unique or just more satisfying to myself. So, backpedaling. <coughs> I'm just <laughs> Moving on. Uh, so, okay. Oh gosh. Here's a. Here's this is from Player Two B. Um, here's one just for fun. Desert Island glue, epoxy, wood glue, or CA glue with activator, and why? CA glue. That's mine. CA glue. <laughs> yeah. yeah, CA glue. And then I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna huff the activator. <laughs> yeah. I'm joking. I'm I totally joking. Smells, I have the activator that smells like roses. Does Ooh. anybody have? Yeah, I saw on um, um, tested there was a not a non aerosol, just kind of like a little squirt. Oh, activated. I used to have that stuff. Yeah, it's like a little pump bottle. Yeah, I, I need too. I need to invest in that. I want to get away from aerosols as much as I can. Yeah, it sounds like CA glue would be the uh, the best there. Yep, because I'm not going to have a lot of clamps on this island, right? So you can get that instant <laughs> bomb with the CA glue and, and move along to the next step. I don't yeah, know. It gives Co- you a lot more time to figure out how to get off the island. <laughs> coconut <laughs> clamps. Coconut coconut clamps sounds like a project someone needs to make. <laughs> um, <laughs> Vine and a stick. You tighten it up, then you twist the stick and that loose part of the vine, and then it tightens everything. Oh, wow. Look at that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay. I a lot of free time working on my lost in the desert plan. <laughs> so I'd rather have, between my options, I would rather have um, Jimmy on the island with me than CA glue. How about yeah, that? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This one is actually for me. Um, Hollow Zip says, what kind of programmer was Bob? And how do you wake up one day and stop writing code? <laughs> that's a uh, that's good. I um I I program I did a bunch of different types of programming over the years, but I kind of ended up in the last uh maybe 7 or 8 years doing kind of front end development, PHP, JavaScript, kind of up in that range. Um and it it just got to where it wasn't very interesting for me. So it was actually kind of easy to stop writing code because writing code was becoming a chore. Um, and I still get to do some code, you know, here and there with the microcontroller stuff I do. And, um, you know, I still make my own website and do, I still do things here and there, but it's just not like heads down in code anymore. Uh, it was actually kind of easy to stop doing it because I have so much other stuff that I enjoy more now. So, 
Um, all right, next one from mforget89. When do you guys clean your shops? Before every project, after certain steps, etc. Never. <laughs> when, when it gets too messy to do the next project. Yeah, every once in a while, like when you feel like it's just like, for me, it's there's always so many things going on. And, and often, believe it or not, there's lots of people in my shop. So it's always like, okay, everybody, let's spend the next half hour putting tools away, sweeping the floor and trying to organize. And so that's kind of what we do in my shop. But, and, you know, I know like Nick's shop, Nick Offerman's shop, he'll do like every Thursday, everybody cleans up, something like that. We, we've been trying to implement that, but it never happens. It's always just a like, all right, we're tripping over each other. Let's start cleaning up. Yeah, that happens spontaneously. Yeah, sometimes cleaning. I'm sorry. Uh, sometimes cleaning can get in the way of being productive. Yeah, and sometimes it being a mess can get in the way of being productive. So whatever, whatever I can do to be more productive. Yeah, yeah, totally. I I usually do it. I kind of reset after projects. I'll shift things around. I'll shift the mess around during a project to get it out of the camera shots so it doesn't look as messy. <laughs> and then and yep. then after I'm done shooting, then I go back and just kind of reset everything for the next video. I actually I actually and then I'm not even joking. I try and make some of the shots look busy with garbage. Like I'll I'll if like if there's a corner that looks a little empty, I'll pile a bunch of wood up in it just so it looks a little bit more busy in the background because it's obviously the style of the shop. And so when I see a shot that looks a little empty, I fill it in with some junk. I love that. Yeah. Hmm. So my shop is like a little perceptually more messy than it really is. Oh, that's awesome. Interesting. Insider information. <laughs> no, it just means you spend like half of your day just moving stuff around to look busier than you actually are. I, I do that. You're absolutely right. And that's when no one's filming anything. <laughs> um, all right. This one's from Lanto23. If you know nothing about electronics and soldering, where's a good place to start? What was the book? David, you, you got a book recently. I do. I do. Uh, it's by Make and man, we'll put a link in the show notes. The book is within 10 feet of me, but my, my office is a mess. It's by Make <laughs> and it's something like getting started in electronics. And we'll put a link to that. It's fantastic. It starts from the very first thing that you need to know. And then it has little projects in there to, to move you along. Um, well, there was a book that I had that I got at Radio Shack when I was a kid, and I still have it, and it's by Forrest Mims. Forrest Mims is like kind of one of the godfathers of electronics education, and he just writes these really good books. I'm not sure if he's still around or if he's still writing or anything now, but anyway, he has written several of these books that are really, um, really easily explained, lots of metaphors for explaining how electronics work and giving really basic examples. And then they're always filled with project examples at the end so you can actually implement some of the stuff. Hmm. Yeah, I, I experiment with, uh, when I first got on and I give some of my students the advice of just like make a simple circuit, just get a battery box. Uh, you know, I guess now you'd have to go to buydig.com, but it used to be able to go to Radio Shack. But buydig.com or... Uh, where are other places to buy electronic stuff? I mean, I know there must be a host of stuff, but I just don't know it. Yeah, um, Adafruit is really good. Oh, Adafruit. yeah. Adafruit. And then uh, SparkFun, the Make Maker Shed from Make Magazine. There's yeah. several of them out there. Yeah, just start making like a simple battery box circuit with a motor or a light on it and then take it from there and then, you know, complicate your life with an Arduino and then everything works. <laughs> <laughs> I, did, I couldn't find the book, so oh, we'll, well put a link to it. Yeah. And another thing to consider, and this was something I didn't realize until very, eh, pretty recently, um, when you start soldering, it's going to look really ugly if you're using the wrong kind of solder, if you're using too thick of solder, which is what I had just kind of inherited from my dad. So I had this really thick solder, 
And uh, in one of my videos, somebody said, you need to get thinner stuff. It makes it cleaner and easier to work with. And so I ordered like the thinnest, tiny little wire solder I could find. And it does make a world of difference. It makes it feel a lot easier. It looks nicer, which makes you feel better about like what you're doing. You know, you keep your connections separate and stuff like that. So if you are getting started and you're buying an, an iron and some solder, make sure you get the smallest stuff you can find or, you know, relatively small. Um, yeah, so let's do that. Uh, next one, question for you guys. If you started over from scratch, what are the five or ten tools you would first buy? Hmm. Bandsaw? Yeah. Table Bandsaw. saw? Bandsaw, table saw. Router? Router, yeah. Uh, I say jigsaw, but, you know, of course jigsaw. But, you know, I, believe it or not, I've gotten so much use out of a regular just push-pull handsaw in the last couple of years. I keep one with me everywhere I go on every job, and it always comes in handy. You know, it's like you want to, like, plug in the circular saw, and then you just go grab the little handsaw, and then, you know, if you get proficient at it, it becomes much more handy than a lot of the, the power tools. So, hmm. yeah. There's a lot, I mean, there's, there's yeah. always, there's always, you know, we all have our list of the top 10 tools, which in like the base, the, the, ba- the, the basic top five are always basically the same. Yeah. I mean, it really depends on what you want to make, right? Yeah. Set of chisels. Yeah. If I can promote myself a little bit, uh, a year or so ago, I wrote an article, how to set up shop from nothing with $500, which I will, I will post a link to that. Nice. Yeah, let's do that. All right. This one's from Jay Samwise. Do you guys run into fatigue when finishing a project? And if so, how do you make la- layering lacquer more fun? <laughs> <laughs> um, just take breaks. That's the, you know, if, if something's boring, just go and say, okay, from twelve to twelve fifteen, I'm going to give this another coat of paint. Then I'm going to go do something fun. You know, just it's just like it, it's it's like when you're walking uphill. And you try and take big strides and it makes it really difficult, but you take little tiny strides and then eventually you're at the top of that hill. It's the same thing. I, I kind of use that same mental uh, theory with work. It's like if I do a little bit at a time, like right now I'm doing that, that those drawers and I'm making almost 50 drawers for my tool chest and they're all basically the same exact thing 50 times and each one has to be hand sanded and planed and fit. I'm like, all right, I'm going to do in the next hour, I'm going to do three more drawers. And then I look back and I'm like, oh, wow, it's like more than halfway now. You know, so it's just uh, little baby steps, and it helps. It just helps you, to kind of have, break it up. You have interns, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but they like you know those guys no, are really kidding. good at like you know getting lunch and stuff like that. But you know, the hand skilled yeah. work is obviously something they're learning. And that, that my my intern Matt is is great, and and my my intern Alan is really good. Alan helped me tremendously with the X carve, and um, they're, they're they're good guys. And, oh, and I'll save it for the end. But Tim Sway does a funny thing this week. Tim Sway is my video channel for the week but oh, we'll talk about that in a minute. yeah i mean I, i'm kind of similar to what you're saying i think i always have several projects going at the same time and i layer them and i think I, I mentioned this last week the way i plan my projects are in a way that while i'm waiting on you know paint to dry on one i can do the next step on the next project and i always have two or three at least kind of in progress so if i get tired of something or I run into a wall on something that i can just switch gears come back to it that's the best way for me to do it um so the next one is for david from air in five four seven five did you get rid of all the tools you mentioned on the podcast i did i mean within 40 minutes of the podcast going up 
I had a couple of emails and they were gone already. So. Nice. That's um, awesome. I'm sorry. So yeah, I gave away the, the Cyclone and a bunch of clamps and uh, yeah. to uh, I, a local guy. He's from from Michigan and it was cool. We hung out for a little bit. We talked shop and now he's putting them to good use. Awesome. I've actually got a, a Cyclone of that same one. If anybody wants it, I'll take over the giveaway. <laughs> I've got it still in the box, never been used. And it's free for anybody that wants it. So tweet at me. Let me know. I'm in Savannah, Georgia, if you're anywhere near this. I left my, my Cyclone at the store. If anybody wants it, they can <laughs> Just go ahead and pay the clerk. <laughs> yeah, just tell them it's mine. You can walk out with it. <laughs> <laughs> tell the police that as well. Yeah. Get just you. say my name. They, they all know me. <laughs> all right, we got a few more to cover real quickly. Um there's another one from Ryan from earlier. I think this was this week versus last week. Um, to be the most versatile maker, which skills are essential? Machinist, woodworker, woodworker, electrician, welder, etc. A combination of all of them, which is what I feel that I am. You know, I know a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And then you know, life goes in waves. Like right now, I'm completely submerging myself in the technology of learning how to use that lathe, which is machining. And then also my bridge port, which is machining. Uh, I... Earlier on, the question was, what would you tell your younger self? And that would be to go to proper machining school because it's like a whole discipline in and of itself. And uh, I'm kind of learning by the seat of my pants, um, like I did most of my learning. Uh, I would say all of the above, you know, just learn a little bit of everything. A, a true maker, you know, I guess you could say a true maker in the true sense of the word is somebody that kind of can handle and problem solve, you know, a, a lot of different things in a lot of different ways. You know, that makes you a better maker, not a true maker. It just makes you a better maker. That was kind of a silly thing to say. A better maker. Because I see people make beautiful things out of just paper. And, you know, they're obviously makers. So more versatile skill set, the better you could handle things. I'm going to go with being a designer. Because you have to mm. learn how to design all these things before you can machine it, cut mm. it, weld it, whatever. So. Yeah, that's a good point. And then you see like architects and interior designers, they take full credit for everything that they didn't lift a finger for. So, And they're the designers. Right. <laughs> I think and it's they, a combination. Legitimately, they legitimately have the right to do that. I think it's a, yeah, a combination of, of stuff. You know, the term maker is really broad. But personally, I think you, from time to time, will have to narrow down what that means to you and decide what you need to know to, you know, accomplish that. And sometimes that's wood, sometimes that's, other stuff. I will say that I think if you're going to be building things, this is, you know, maybe stepping away from electronics or, you know, sewing or things that also fall into the same camp. But if you're going to be building things, I think having a pretty good grasp of using wood tools to shape wood into what you want is a good thing to do. And I say that because of all the other kind of building materials, wood is one of the most accessible, one of the easiest to work with, and one of the most forgiving. You know, if you mm-hmm. uh, if you pour some concrete into a thing and it doesn't work how you want it to do, you you have to start over, right? You can't <laughs> remold concrete. If yeah, you burn true. through a piece of metal, it's a lot more work to replace that, you know, to fix that hole than it is to reshape it or whatever. So I think, you know, of the building arts, if you would want to call it that, uh, getting at least comfortable with some woodworking is probably a good place to start. Yeah. Personally. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Um, all right. We've got a couple more. One from Woodcrafts. Um, how do you, <laughs> there's a mistake in this, but it actually makes for a really funny question. How do you guys deal with difficult costume? 
It's supposed to be what? customers, but it would be interesting to talk <laughs> about how we talk about how we deal with different different. Oh, I've talked about it before, and when when somebody's turning out to be like I, I said this a couple times, and when you hang out with a customer, a new customer for the first time, and you watch the way that they are, and you watch the way that they talk to the people around them, you know, if you're in their environment, or if you meet them for lunch and you watch them order food, and if they can't decide whether they want the Cobb salad or the mixed salad, and they go back and forth ten times, that's not the type of person you want to be picking colors with. So before you get committed to them, look and watch it how they handle stuff. If they're easygoing, if they're willing to to make compromises, even in like the momentary day-to-day. If they're difficult and you hear the way they talk to waiters or waitresses or people around them, you know, I usually give them the buzz-off price. And once in a while, they they, they can, you know, if something would be, you know, one number, I would sometimes double it for them because they seem like they would be completely difficult to deal with. And, you know, every once in a hundred chances, they'll say, uh, okay, um, when can we start? And you're like, oh, no, I'm going to be married to this person for a couple of months. <laughs> but that's, that's my advice. Yeah. I say eliminate the customer from your life. Yeah, if you can. That's a good, good point, too. Yeah. I, I, I don't take on any commission work. And so I may sell things at craft fairs or online. But I've already made it. So you have the choice of either buying what I already made or not. Yeah, at that point, they're a consumer of a good that's already created. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I do a lot of custom work. So it's definitely, you know, you get a, you're literally becoming, you know, a spouse of this person for a couple of months or a year, however long these jobs, these jobs I take on sometimes last for a very long time. Yeah, I, I guess in general, it'd just be, you know, when you're making a deal with a customer or with a potential like, commission, just be really clear about everything that you can up front. And then just make sure that you do what you said you were going to do. And you really have no control over how the other person is going to act or react or any of that. Yeah, so, you know, sure. just follow through. Hey, there's an interesting thing that's come up with me in the last week or so, which is kind of related in regards to uh, sponsorship, video sponsorships. So I've had these companies, a couple of companies now come and, you know, I guess they're my customer uh, when I think of it that way. And they start this conversation and say, we really like what you do. We really want to do this. Here are all the details. All right. Everything sounds great. Let's get on the phone. We're talking about it. Everything's moving along. And then they throw in some little thing at the end that's like, oh, and um, yeah, and we own the video when we're done with it. Or, Oh, right. and you have to turn off all the comments of the video. Or, you know, just some little thing that to them seems really insignificant, but it has a huge impact on how I do what I do, how I interact with the community, how I whatever. And it's interesting how from the customer point of view, something that they think is not really a big deal, mm-hmm. it is a big deal, you know. And so part of that is just being really upfront from both mm-hmm. sides all the way through the process so that everybody has the same expectation, you know. And usually those things, as they come up, if, you, if you're talking about them with the customer and you deal with them and you get through them, everything's fine. But it's just that people come at a conversation, at a commission with uh, different expectations of what they're going to get out of it, you know, what the other person's going to do. So Yeah. Well said. Um, all right. Let's do, let's do one more. This is a really good one to end on, I think. <clears throat> this is from 95 Chevy's 10. Has the friendship between the three of you impacted your projects, videos, or the way that you make things versus before you meet each you met each other? Absolutely. And here's I would say for sure, yeah. Here's how it works for me. I'll be making something and I'll ask myself, I wonder what Bob and Jimmy would think of this. Or or like I can't wait to show Bob and Jimmy. That's yeah. how it that's how it affects me. 
Oh, mm. for sure, absolutely. And you know, I, I you know, I sometimes uh, I like I, I try to make a mental note to remember to bring up something that would be good conversation for the three of us that you know that I've experienced. So it, it absolutely has, and uh, it also opened me up to the community at large, which is, has been so rewarding to be able to just talk to everybody that's interested in what we do and listens to what we do. So definitely, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, I think we and a lot of the other creators too have. Uh, a good rapport and we're open with each other and we get to kind of get feedback from each other about projects before anybody else sees them, which is just good for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think anytime you have community of any kind, it can't do anything but benefit the people that are invested in that community, you Mm -hmm. know, no matter if that's a small community or big or whatever. So the question earlier about, um, you know, whether the, the YouTube market has reached saturation from that perspective, I don't think it ever could because as long as you're coming into something, a community like this or like anything, and you're, you're wanting to be involved, you're wanting to invest in the people around you and they're wanting to invest in you. I mean, wouldn't you want that to get bigger and bigger and bigger <laughs> indefinitely? Yeah. 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 And, um, uh, you know, the way the, the, the community too, like, uh, like the, uh, like the guys on Facebook and, you know, the, the YouTube woodworkers and Andrew and, and, uh, William Lutz and those guys, that's it's just so it's just so nice it's just so sweet that you know everybody kind of pats each other on the back and everybody wants to see everybody succeed so yeah it's it's really nice all around yep. yeah definitely awesome well that's a good place to start for the questions um we'll do this again soon and david had a, an interesting idea you want to tease that idea or you want to save it sure let's uh, let's uh, let's tease it so i thought for this, for these last two episodes, we took in viewer questions. I thought, what if we had an episode where we ask each other questions? So I come in with two questions prepared for Bob and two questions prepared for Jimmy and so on. Mm. 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 So we'll do that at some point in the future. We know, we'll give it some space maybe uh, for the Q&A. But, um, so let's move on to what we're watching. What do you guys see anything cool lately? So I've been checking out this channel called DIY Perks. Oh, yeah. It's really Mm -hmm. good stuff. I don't know what took me so long to (sighs) discover it. The latest video is make a Bluetooth speaker. uh, And it's just really awesome stuff. I'm featuring him him in the the next wrap-up. It's it's just good stuff. Real good stuff. Very cool. Um, I talked a little bit about Tim Sway for a minute. Tim, I'm going to give Tim a shout-out. I know we talked about Tim a couple times, but... Tim did a really funny video because in some of my uh, periscopes, I talk about my intern, Matt and Alan, and then also in one or two of the videos. These guys have kind of spent the, the last few few weeks with me here in the summer, and, and they've been a great help and a great addition to the shop. So Tim took that and, and hired his mother as his intern in his video. And it was a total <laughs> surprise to me because I didn't expect it at all. Like I'm watching the video. I just clicked on it and then all of a sudden I'm like oh there's my push stick really nice thanks for the advertisement and then he mentioned my name and then all of a sudden his mother was his intern and he had a lot of funny sight gags with it and, and they both did a really good job doing some comedic acting so uh, I shout out Tim so thank you brother I really like how Tim incorporates a lot of art into yeah. his work and it's just it's just awesome real unique, unique stuff yeah for sure yeah for sure for sure, for sure. Yeah, for me, um, it's, this is a channel I've been watching for a while. Um, but he doesn't put out videos too often, but they're really good and they're really interesting. And I think he, I think he's Italian, and he does the video both in English and Italian for everyone. I think. Um, but he, his channel's name is 
Ruloff, R-U-L-O-F. I'm not really sure how to say that. Ruloff Maker. And um, he he just does some really interesting things, and he makes it out of, he just cobbles together, like, found stuff. So I think in I've one seen of the, this. I, the name is familiar. I definitely One seen of the it. most recent ones that I saw, he made in a, a DIY breathing apparatus. And so he <laughs> took these, like, tubes and took a snorkel and cut it in half and ran tubes from the snorkel end to this tube that he strapped on his arm and he like compresses air with his pumps down into these tubes and but he just compresses air down into this tube and then he can swim around and release the air into his breathing it's just cool and he's done like he made um, a bow and arrow out of a pair of skis one time I think and you know just lots of stuff like that really interesting he's real high energy it's fun to watch so go check him out yeah, so I guess that'll do it for us this week. Um, don't forget, we'll be at Woodworking America September 25th and 26th, right? Yep. I get, the, I get the date. And the 27th. And the, dang it. <laughs> I was so close. I was planning anyway. on driving out Thursday. I think I'm, I got a sub for my class Friday morning. I'm just going to leave the city Thursday, so I'll be there Friday. So I'm going to be there. And Welder's coming with me, I think. Awesome. Yeah, looking forward to that. It's going to be a lot of people, good hangout time. So if you're in the area... Or if you're not in the area and you want to be in the area, go to the area. Come hang out with us. Hop in your car. Um, yeah, that's it. And then um, the next weekend after that, I'll be in Atlanta at the Maker Fair. And if you're in that area, I would love to hang out with you. So come check it out. Uh, thanks again for the questions, everybody. And Thank we'll you. See you next week.